Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. What's poppin', y'all? We are back. We are live. You better recognize. I hope this email finds you well. My man's merch is poppin'. Uh, if you don't know, Will Aiken, I am about to introduce him to you proper, but you guys know that I give you a moment to come into the room. And I launched this question because we want to know who you are and what you do every day. That is how we tailor the conversation to an extent to the people that are in the room. We pretty much guess that, you know, AEs and SDRs tend to be our dominant audience members, but shout out to the senior leaders and the leaderships, managers that are coming to the, to the show. You guys are the ones that influence change. So that's what, that's what I think is most impressive is that more and more leaders are coming to the show. Uh, let's kick things off a little bit right here. Welcome back, everybody, to the Sell Better Daily Sales Show, where we bring you daily sales advice to help you sell better. That's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Uh, let us know what your role is. That's what you're doing in the chat right now. Uh, we are here to talk about booking more meetings, prospecting. That is the number one skill, and we're going to tell you why here in just a moment. Let me give him a proper introduction. Will Aitken is in the room with us. I am looking forward to working more with Will as we move forward in 2024. So get used to his face and the association with Sell Better uh, because you're going to see him more and more. Will, welcome back to the show, my friend. What's up, James? How you doing? I always, mate, when I see you and I having one of these shows on my calendar, I'm just like, I'm excited. I'm, I'm building advantage all day until we get this. You just <laughs> That's amazing. I oh, like our energy together. <laughs> oh, well, it's a good thing as well. And you're kind of alluding to it there. I don't know if I've told anyone yet. Uh, should I save for an announcement or should I let the people who are here on a little seat? I don't want to spoil anything and let's do it proper. So let's, okay, keep, it, right. let's okay. keep it reserved. Tell us where you're tuning in from in the chat first. We're very well-traveled folks. We like to see the places that we've been. Uh, and if you're tuning into the podcast, welcome. Thank you for tuning in, uh, whether you're working out or you know working at your desk, listening to this kind of subconsciously. I appreciate everybody tuning into the podcast lately. And if you don't know where the podcast is, go find it. It's out there on Spotify. Uh, and several other places. In any case, scan this QR code, check our website out, sellbetter.xyz. Uh, shout out to all the places that are coming in. Mexico, I see you, Minnesota, Lima, Peru, Alpharetta, Georgia. We are all over the place. International crowd represent. Big thanks to our partners. We couldn't do this show without them. Uh, shout out to Exactly coming on board. We love you guys. Uh, Magical has been fantastic to work with. And a big thanks to our longtime partner, one of our biggest partners, Zoom Info. Fantastic. One of the best pieces of content that we put together were these three powerful lead to meeting plays. We just dropped that in the chat. So go ahead and grab that because that's a free resource that you can use to your advantage. Great resource we put together with Zoom Info. Here's what you're going to get from Will today. Uh, and let me know in the chat, yes or no, do you feel sometimes like you sell from a place of desperation? No one is judging you. Uh, I felt that way before in the past. I felt that way multiple times. We're going to tell you why this is something that we can help you with and how to do it. Uh, ways to reduce friction. I think this was one of the best uh, overall themes of Will's new course on prospecting. And you're going to have lots of opportunity to get started on that course uh, throughout the show today. So look out for that in the chat as well. Proven tactics. Proven tactics for effective prospecting. Always something we cover right here on Sell Better. Let's start at the basis. We have uh, several SDRs, lots of AEs. And again, look, 19% senior leadership coming in. Uh, and whatever other is, you guys are aliens. We appreciate you coming in. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Will, why is prospecting the number one skill in sales and not closing? This seems like something people would think. Yeah, mate. Thanks for asking. Um, 
people, I've heard this question thrown around a lot, like why is closing not a better skill than prospecting? And it's quite simply that by prospecting, you basically ensure your pipeline as a company, as an individual, if you're an account executive or you're someone who closes their own deals. And as an SDR and BDR, it's your entire job to prospect well, so you kind of need to do it, right? Talk to strangers, that's the job. That's the job, right? That's just what it is. Um, but for someone who's closing their own deals or for the entire company, if you look at it like that, basically having more opportunities in the pipe allows you to sell not so great. Even if you're not that great at discovery and closing deals, if you have twice as many deals in your pipeline as someone who is really good at sales, let's just do a bit of math there. Let's say you have a 10% close rate. If you have 50 deals in the pipe, you're still going to outsell someone who has a 20% close rate, but only has 40 deals. I'm uh, sorry. Mm. Let's say 20 deals in the pipe. All right. Yeah. Because you're giving yourself those options, there's a ton of other benefits to having those options as well, which I'm, I'm sure we'll touch on in a minute. Yeah, we will touch on it. I know a lot of AEs are keen to get their hands on your course because they need to be the most efficient when it comes to their prospecting in 2024. Uh, AEs in the room, there's quite a few of you. Yes or no, are you being asked or are you feeling like you need to prospect more than ever to achieve your sales goals now? Uh, and of course, we appreciate AEs that actually go out and do the prospecting job. But talk to me about how they can be efficient uh, after all the deals that they have in their pipe that they're trying to close. This is a huge like balancing act for them. Yeah. So this is a great question. One I had to ask myself a few years ago when I was working as a full cycle AE because I've never been an SDR or BDR. So prospecting is always something I've had to do alongside my core activities mm. of you know doing the intro calls, presenting uh, to clients, sending those proposals, closing those deals, negotiating, everything like that. So to do that effectively, you do need to actually do some smart work to make sure it's an efficient process because otherwise you're going to be dropping the ball. You're not going to be doing enough activity to generate any meaningful pipeline for yourself. Yeah. So when I think about AEs prospecting, I like to think of ways that you can, I, this word has got dirty recently, but scale it without losing too much quality so that it's still effective and isn't going to burn a ton of bridges with potential customers as well. Yeah. Now, the way I think about doing that is that as an AE, you have, and anyone in sales, in fact, your sales team, you have this trove of information in your CRM about why people end up buying from you. What are the unique things that are happening to them that often either cause them to come inbound or get them to show interest in your outbound messaging? And if you can start to draw out what those kind of like symptoms of the uh, of the problems that they're facing and typically lead them to buy, you can begin targeting prospects based on those symptoms. I'm going to put my do not disturb on. I'm getting some Slack notifications here from y'all. There we go. I I love I love this language of symptoms. I uh, just had this great conversation. John Barrows and Beck Holland on the Make It Happen Monday show. They talked about uh, diagnosis sales. So when you're saying symptoms, uh, you know I just want to park it right there for a minute. Break this down for everybody. How is this different from what we typically do every day? Yeah. So typically when I hear problem, symptom, focused language, it's talking about further into the deal cycle when you're discovering, you're doing that, that, that actual diagnosis. But the way I like to think about an analogy I like to use is if you were a doctor who specialized in treating people with liver disease and you knew liver disease was most prominent in, let's say, males who are over the age of 50, mm -hmm. you would still have a hard time approaching every single male over 50 and trying to diagnose them with something, right? Like that wouldn't be an efficient way to do it. So what you might start to do is learn how those symptoms of liberty show themselves in public so you can spend your time talking to the folks who are facing the uh, ailment of liver disease. And those might be like jaundice, right? So oftentimes people ye um, get yellowed colored skin when they have liver disease. They often have a, a hunch as well. 
So you might start to look for these symptoms, as I like to call them, of a greater problem. And then you would actually just try and speak to people who are more likely facing the problem, the, 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 the illness that you could have solved. The same thing applies to sales. So you're going to be looking for those symptoms that someone might be in more in need uh, of a product like yours. And you're going to weave those into your targeting so you can target, one, people who are more likely to show interest in you. But two, you can start to weave those symptoms that you've observed into your messaging to make it relevant without having to go one by one and research every single person you choose to reach out to. So I'm going to just use one example here. And that is, I was talking to a LinkedIn ad agency the other day. And I said, okay, what are the things that people happen to be with that cause them to like reach out to you in the first place? And they're like, well, a lot of times when people reach out to us, they're just, they've, they've lost either someone from the marketing or maybe they've had to do layoffs. And that means they've got limited capacity on their team to manage their ad campaigns. So they might not have the skills internally anymore to manage them well. Like that's it right there. So what you've got to do, instead of trying to talk to every marketing leader out there, you might just start targeting those folks who've had a headcount reduction on their marketing team recently, because you know, immediately that makes someone more in need or more likely to be in need of your solution. And you can use that in your messaging. And that means you could target 200 marketing leaders and say, Hey, couldn't help but notice that your headcount's a little bit down. A lot of folks find that when they have people leave or they've had to do some layoffs, whatever it may be. They, they, they end up struggling to keep the ad campaigns alive or, or performing well. Yeah. Have, have you worked with an agent in the past? Is that an area you've currently uncovered? And that could be an email, but you could use it on a cold call opener. And that way your entire, your sourcing leads and have it reduce the amount of work you have to do to actually do this prospecting activity. It's incredible because we look at it like we're throwing a net and we do need to throw a net first. But what comes out of the net are things that we should throw spears at and things that we shouldn't. And we need to know which ones to throw spears at. So there's this like narrowing of the scope that I think is happening based on triggers and things like that. Uh, Maji, yes, absolutely. This will be shared as a recording uh, for everybody that came to the show today. Uh, I want to encourage everyone. Thank you, Noel, for asking the very first question. We are going to leave time at the end of the show for all the questions that we can muster. And I'm going to make sure to leave plenty of time. So get your questions for Will about your own prospecting into the Q&A so that we can talk about it. But first, I want you to talk to the leaders. Let's talk to the leaders uh, and let's talk about what they should be measuring, what other people should be measuring. And I'm just going to go ahead and ask the question now for everybody that wants to take part, please vote. You know, And if it's something else, let us know in the chat. But what is the thing that you measure most closely? Talk to us about measurement and equations. So yeah, you've got up on the slide here and it's, it's kind of like doing the math. And this is how I like to think about it. As an AE, when I was prospecting, and even now as a business owner, when I'm prospecting, I want to reverse engineer so I know how much I've got to put in to get what I want out. Mm. So that might be my quota, or maybe I want to overachieve quota. And to do that, I know I need to close, let's say, three deals a month with an average uh, deal size of 12, of 10K, okay. let's just, so just to make the numbers nice and easy, right? Now, to close three deals a month, I know I need to send five contracts. If I know I need to send five contracts, then uh, to send five contracts, I know I need to send, let's say, eight proposals. To send eight proposals, I know I need to have, let's say, 16 demos. To have 16 demos, I need to do 20 introductory calls. And that that's my number, right? Now, I know my, my marketing team, my SDR, if I've got one, are sourcing half that number, which means I now know to hit the goal that I want to hit, which is closing three deals a month, I need to source 10 of my own deals. Mm. And then you get into the nitty gritty of like what activities you need to do 
to actually hit that. So I could say on average, it takes me 100 activities across cold and cold email and let's say social outreach to book one meeting and I need to book 10. So that means I need to make a thousand activities per month to get th- those my pipe full enough to close and hit the goal I want, assuming that marketing and SDR are going to show up. They don't always, which is why this is insurance as well. Um, so at that point, now I've done the math, I know I need to do a thousand activities. I'm going to break that down even smaller, four weeks in a month, five days. So that's 500 activities a week. I mean, means now I need to do 100 activities a day to hit the goal, my quota or this stretch goal that I've set for myself because I want to buy a new lightsaber or something like that, right? Uh, that That's doing the math. And of course, once you know your math, if you can improve the conversion metrics at any point along the way, so if you can get more replies to emails, if you could have more conversations on the phone, if you get more people connecting you on LinkedIn, or you can improve the your demo to proposal conversion, then you can adjust that math. And that means you have to do less activities to hit that goal because you're getting good and proficient. But you can't start doing that until you're measuring it in that way. There's such a correlation that he's drawing here, folks, from activities and results, and then honing that equation so that your numbers continuously shrink down. The number of activities that you should do uh, in month two looks completely different than the number of activities it takes to achieve the same goal in month eight, right? And that is what he's saying. There's a compounding effect and a way that we improve our practices and adjust our equations at the same time. Uh, I love that that lesson right there. Let's talk a little bit uh, about something that I think a lot of us feel all the time, and that is that place of desperation. I'd like to finish this first segment of the show off with that piece of it, because I see myself in that when I'm in danger of missing a number, I start to panic and I do desperate things to get those results. Yeah. Um, so the, the, this, again, will apply more to closers, but will also apply to folks who are just, whose entire job is to book appointments, because if you're yeah. go, it's easy to go further. And the point here is that you never want to be selling from a place of need. You never want to need a deal. The most common questions I get on LinkedIn and in coaching sessions is like, "Will I need to close these three deals to hit my goal. Like, my, my friend, you messed up two months ago when you didn't book yourself a bunch more meetings so you would have three, nine options. Three extra meetings a week, right? <laughs> yeah, and now, and then you wouldn't have to be so desperately trying to close these deals. And the issues of desperately trying to close a deal, the more you need something, generally the less likely is you're going to get it. Because you're going to be selling from like this place of like neediness and desperation. That stuff, it, it stinks to clients. Yeah. So, so by having more options in your pipeline, you've got that insurance, that safety net to say, hey, it's not a fit. It's all good because I've got eight other prospects I can talk to. Instead of saying, I need this deal to close, you're like, it doesn't matter if it doesn't close because I know I've got enough options to still make it work. So that's why I think even those who aren't prospecting right now as AE should start thinking about ways they can. And if they don't feel like they have time, employ some of those strategies to to scale it and make sure it's not too time consuming, or even just do some of the easy things that you are like just missing a little bit of today, like asking for a referral. Because then you got this compounding effect of every customer you talk to ask for a referral and every yeah. customer they refer you ask for a referral. You can end up being an AU full cycle without having to make a single call or send a cold email if you get good at asking for referrals. So that's Referrals close like 70 plus percent more than any other types of business. And I noticed like most people are tracking the the meetings that they book. Uh, and we had a couple things put in the chat that I think are interesting, uh, but nobody put referrals in there. I, tracking referrals would definitely be something that I would consider doing in 2024. Every time you close something, you could say, who else do you know? Or <laughs> 
yeah. that could use this. They all run in the same circles. Uh, so that makes a lot of sense. Uh, all right, let's let's let the audience jump in here for just a minute. This anonymous attendee, I want to answer your question. Get your questions in, y'all. Uh, this one says, how much cold outreach should I do every day, especially email? And how do I get better? How do I get better at my offer? I think this is about like your value proposition and how well it's articulated, right, Will? Yeah. So so you, how do you improve your value problem, make it resonate more? So in this examples that we gave with the math, instead of having said 100, let's say cold emails to book a meeting, you can only send 50 and then you're converting twice as many, right? Mm. Um, I think the way you improve your value prop is really understanding what resonates for your clients. And, and, and a lot of the time that isn't talking about your products because value prop is a misleading statement a lot of the time. It's not making your product sound better. It's getting a better understanding of what problems you can help your customers solve. Yeah. And, and, and which ones are the most frequent and also prominent and important that motivate people to, to actually show interest in something. Mm. If you can improve your targeting and your messaging, those are the two key places that you can improve your, improve your value prop. But I would make sure that that value prop is very centered around the customer. And the only way to make it really centered around the customer is know them and know your customer very well. Know the pain points that resonate with them. Know what pain points and problems and challenges they might be facing. Yeah. And how those things pop up and they, they have an impact, try and layer that in there as well. Someone said to me, oh, well, if someone's, if someone says, I'm going to say you loads of time, uh, if, if we'll, someone says, I'm going to improve or I'm going to fix this for you, but it's not something that's really causing me any bother, then I'm less likely to care. But they go, well, this thing might be costing you this much money somewhere down the line. In those cases, that's where if you focus on the impact a little bit more in your messaging, um, those resonate at a more emotional level. I'm going to get people a bit more interesting, likely to reply to you. Knowing your prospects and the buyers that you sell best to and what they care about most seems to be a reoccurring theme on every show that we do around prospecting. Hey guys, picking up on these patterns, right? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about bucketing and some things that that Will does uh, that really make a lot of sense. And again, this is you're getting a taste of this course that is available to you. So if that's something that you want, you want to see the rest of the course, by all means, make sure that you check that out. Uh, let's talk about this, My probably my favorite term in sales today. Uh, I wrote about this in 2017. I feel pitch slapped a lot. I feel like somebody reach out to me, I'll accept that connection request. And immediately I get that canned pitch slapping ass message. And I just want to like scream. I want to go crazy on people. Uh, but we get torn in this like, you know, to sell or not to sell, that is the question. And how do we sell our products without pitching becomes the question for most sellers pretty early in their careers. Break this down for everybody. How do we avoid the pitch slap? And what should we be doing instead? So to, to, to be transparent, um, it's okay to be in sales. It's okay to want to sell to people. I think the way you do it is more important. Like every company has salespeople. Every company needs to be selling stuff. Like there's nothing wrong with being in sales and having to reach out to people. It's the way you do it, which can make all the difference. So in my mind, don't shy away from the fact that you're a salesperson. Don't try and hide it. Don't try and fly under the radar and, and not pitch someone and go in inauthentically with a ulterior motive. I think, um, I think we need to have the empathy and understanding of our customers. And instead of going at them with a pitch, it's more going in with curiosity, maybe a hypothesis that we can come up with that suggests they might be facing a challenge that we can help them with and keeping them at the center of the message instead of yourself, because that is a pitch slap. When I say, Hey James, I've got a software that's going to make your time. You, you save you a lot of time, money and time. It's going to 
streamline your automation, payroll <laughs> processes, and innovate the way you do things today. It's all in one. That's pitching. When I go, hey, James, couldn't help but notice that you've just hired 10 neural employees that sell better. A lot of folks find when they hire people, they suddenly outgrow up, find, find that their current payroll solution is no longer, it's too manual, it's taking, it's killing a butt ton of time and headaches and mistakes at the end of the month every time they need to do a payday. You know, that, that can lead to employee turnover, that can lead to you making mistakes or potentially under or overpaying your customer, your employees. Um, we have a solution that, that can help with that. Does that sound interesting to you? At that point, I'm making you the focus instead of my product. It's like a little tack on the end. I'm not telling them how I do it. I'm not trying to sell it. I'm focusing on the problem. If that problem doesn't exist, then they shouldn't be interested. But if it does, well then, hey, guess what? That's when we can talk about the product, the solution, and how it might be able to help you. Um, it, there's so much value in realizing uh, that we are guilty of jumping into us really soon in our conversations. And when we focus on, uh, as somebody said here, we should focus, Sarah, Sarah, shout out to Sarah in the chat. We, we should focus on the problem that we solve instead of slapping the pitch. Uh, but also, uh, Will, you had a great point that you said when we were planning for all of these things. You said, we have to recognize that these people are not, their job is not to buy from us. They have an actual job. Uh, what do you mean when you say this? Why do salespeople struggle to see this? Uh, when do they usually wake up? Does it click for them on a show like this? Uh, maybe. Um, for me, it happened a lot later than I wish. Um, but as sellers, there's this weird disconnect because we don't get prospected that much. And therefore, we find it really hard to empathize and see what it's like to be on the other side. And therefore, we don't see all these issues with what we might be doing today and the way we're reaching out to people. So what do I mean by like these people, their job's not just to buy? Well, most VPs, C-level folks, direct-level folks, they've got a myriad of things they're trying to do. They're trying to hire people, fire people, do their one-on-ones, launch products, manage projects, talk to their boss, send reports to their board. They've got a ton of things to do, and a very small percentage of their job is to actually look and find new solutions. And most of the time, when they're using that for a small fraction of their job, it's something they think they need. Now, most of us don't sell, especially in the if you're something like a little bit more disruptive or innovative in those kind of markets. We don't sell things, something that most people will think they need. Like I used to sell uh, a proposal software, let's say. I was chatting to you about this earlier, James, right? Yeah. Most people don't think I need a I need a, a proposal software that's going to give me visibility and control over my sales reps' proposals. They don't do that because they, they, they the way they're doing things today is typically e-signed and they don't know a solution even provides like that. They may not even know that the problem that we help them solve is the thing that's causing all these headaches. So they aren't going to actively seek us out. We need to find them and, 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 and recognize that these people are busy. They're getting hit up by tons of sales reps every single day. Every Most of those messages are very self-serving and talking about the product and pitching like we just spoke about. And most of those messages fall into a pattern of what a cold call, a cold email, a, a, a sneaky DM on LinkedIn looks like. So we need to interrupt that pattern, do something differently. Easy way to do that, just by talking about the problem instead of the instead of our solution. There's obviously a couple more ways you can think about that as well. Well, there's a lot of leaders that are in the room today. I think we're at like 19% senior leadership. You know, you 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 folks get pitched quite a bit randomly from strangers. I'd I'd love your thoughts on this in the chat if you have any to share. Uh, and while we're doing that, you can tell me about this. What's the true buying percentage? You just said that these people only spend a small fraction of their time buying things. What does that do for our buying percentage? What's the 5%? Break this down. Yeah. So there's there's two ways I look at buyers and I kind of bucket them into two main groups. The first is people who are actively looking for a solution. And that 
generally, according to the B2B Institute, mind you, this was in 2021 when the economy was a lot hotter. This number is a lot less now. Only 5% of buyers are ever looking actively to buy a new solution in the category. Now, mind you, again, that category, those categories are normally the more mature categories. So like if I'm looking, if I'm selling a CRM, well then 5%. If I'm selling like a brand new startup or something that's a little bit different and that people don't actively normally initiate seeking out, that number's going to be even smaller. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is when we talk about our products and its selling points, really the only people who care about those things are the people who are buying something right now. The only people who care about how good a product is is someone who's looking for a product. So this is just, again, another testament to the fact we should be basically, instead of trying to capture demand with our messaging, we need to be able to create it. And you do that not by talking about your product, your solution, and saying why it's great and how happy your customers are. You do it by by hitting on a problem uh, that either the prospect is unaware of, maybe they're aware of it, but they don't know there's a solution available yet, um, or maybe they've tried to take a kick at the can of solving in the past, but now you're gonna you're gonna show them a new way that maybe haven't have thought of before. So there's a there's a a comment that John makes on the show when he comes on, and it's that leaders like structure, and what's happening here is that you're literally educating them on something they didn't even know they needed to your point uh it's that solution of contract visibility that i didn't even know i wanted or needed but it's helped me to close two or three times the deals that i normally closed without it and therefore i will continuously renew continuously look for this solution and consider it a staple in my tech stack my flow my workflow my pragmatic approach to sales right that's it that's it exactly and i mean just to just to take another step back as well like it's not just a fact you can't again you're not reaching out to everybody who you think might have that problem if you sell to vps of marketing you're not going to sell sell to every vp of marketing you're going to use some kind of uh personalization or some kind of relevance trigger up front to get their attention and again interrupt that pattern of the most generic self-serving pitches that they're getting from everyone else that's generally how you stand out and you come with that with a point of view, a hypothesis, not saying, hey, I know this is a problem for you, but saying, hey, I think this might be a problem for you because of those symptoms that I saw, which I described earlier. So this is the point where I'm going to ask you guys a question about multi-touch channels, the things that you're doing in your outreach. We're going to talk about mixing these channels up. Uh, there was something that you said earlier, though, about a buyer's journey and creating demand. Sometimes we talk about creating urgency and we say it's not possible. You can only uncover urgency, but you can actually create demand with these, you know, solutions, these point solutions that people see and go, oh, now that would be really helpful. Uh, But how do we do this without getting into that battle over marketing, messaging and ads and things like that? Creating demand seems like a big lift, but is it? No, when you do things in a, in a structured, intelligent way so when you when you know you're targeting down when you're targeting the right buyers for the right reasons you have a good message that's focused on that problem because generally marketers fall into this trap of trying to capture the demand which is kind of what i think they should be doing anyway so like in my mind if only five percent of buyers are buying any 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 one point in time i want my marketing team to be the ones who make sure that when those people say they're going to start buying they find us first whether Mm. that's building a brand whether it's capturing them through an ad whether it's you know, being at the top of the Google search results, that's to me like a capture method. When we talk about the problems and the challenges that people have but aren't solving yet, that's where we're starting to create demand where it doesn't already exist. These people are not looking for a product. 
However, because the problem or challenge is something they're facing, they're willing to start investigating it. And that's, that's the entire thing about that, right? Um, now to do that, we also need to recognize that we need to switch up our, uh, every prospect is different. Now there's averages, we could figure that out, but, um, every prospect has different tastes and they're going to resonate to different channels and messages differently. So when you put the poll up there, which said, you know, um, how, which, how many different channels you're using in your outbound sequences, you want to give yourself the best chance of getting noticed by that prospect. Even if you're doing all these things right, if you only rely on email, you're going to miss a bunch of people who never check their emails, who have like 12,000 unread emails, right? If you only rely on cold calls, well, you're going to miss the people who do respond to emails. So that's where I like to think about mixing in multiple channels, kind of like a chef. If you had a whole restaurant full of people that you wanted to feed and you had six bags of potatoes, I would hope that you wouldn't just make fries. You would make mashed potatoes, fries, maybe some... some oh, rotten, man. That's uh, the way. Crisps, if you're British. <laughs> yeah. Uh, give them some, like a thousand layer potato, you know, you set up all these different ways to try and basically increase the chance that someone was more willing to eat your food. So that's how I think about switching up channels and prospecting because some people will never ever take a cold call. Others are like, they're like way behind on their emails. The yeah. others may never open, look at a cold email, just hit delete, have a EA, but they might manage their LinkedIn profile themselves. So that's why I want to mention in those different channels. And while doing so, I'm also going to mix in different messaging, different pain points and challenges that I know I can help them solve. Again, just to serve it in one more different way so, so that I know that, hey, my first email didn't land. So my second email, I'm going to hit on a different pain point challenge or talking point to, to again, not be repetitive because why would you keep doing something that didn't work, right? Um, so we're just trying to give ourselves the best chance of resonating by switching things up, giving ourselves options, letting the prospect kind of meet them where they want to be met. Well, it looks like a lot of the folks here are using two to three channels, and I'm just going to go ahead and call a spade a spade. Let's see. Uh, is it LinkedIn, email, and cold calls? Is it LinkedIn, email, phone calls? Just yes or no. Is that your power three? Because for me, that's always been the power three. Uh, what, what's a, an outside thing, Will, in your opinion, that, oh, look, we got some here, face-to-face -face video. Uh, our email call LinkedIn, that's the, the power three, the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, Yeah. right? Uh, Will, talk to me about some outside the box stuff you've been doing. Yeah. So some ones outside of those three, some of these are formats that you would still use email as a delivery mechanism for, but video is a great way. Uh, since I started my business, uh, 90% of the outbound meetings I've booked have been using uh, a video recorded on the LinkedIn mobile app. Uh, now I'm obviously pretty darn good on video because I'm always got the record button on. But, you know, that's one example. Referrals, we mentioned that earlier. That's an entire channel that most people aren't taking advantage of. And you said earlier, hey, ask people whenever you close a sale with them if they know anyone else like them. I would argue that you should do it whenever you get like a no as well. If someone says, hey, I'm not interested or this isn't a priority right now, don't try and fight them on it because that annoys the crap out of buyers sometimes. Yeah. Obviously understand why. And if it's something you can't change then say, all right, no worries about it. That's not a big deal. Thanks so much. They'll let me know. I really respect you getting back to me on this. Hey, I don't suppose you would know anyone else is a bit like you who might, you know, need this a little bit sooner. That's a really easy thing to do. When if you get a no on a cold call, you can still do the same thing. It's not for me. Oh, well, I don't suppose you know anyone is facing this problem, would you? And then you can ask more and more and you get this huge network of referrals. Um, I would also say voice notes on, on social matter, going to trade shows, a lot of in-person things. If you're someone who works in a local geography, then absolutely go around, knock on some doors, uh, ignore those, uh, 
Oh, the sign? I didn't see that sign. Um, <laughs> what sign? Oh, that was for me? Oh, no, I'm not soliciting. I'm just here to talk about the chocolates that I dropped you off here. Um, so you got you got to experiment to know which channels are going to really resonate with your buyers. Because I'm not going to sit here and some people say cold call instead. I, uh, maybe some people, but you've got to experiment with all of these things to know they're going to work for you or not first. The way that you said it for me that rang true in my head was you said, it doesn't matter what you think is dead. It matters what your buyers think is dead. Some people prefer a certain channel. I always like give people the option of those power three. Uh, and usually, you know, they choose one of those three. What happens when we give people choices? They make a choice, right? That's kind of human nature. Uh, there's another piece of this puzzle that I think was like an overarching theme to your course. Again, this course completely available to everybody right now. Uh, it said, reducing friction is the way of sales today. Uh, explain how we reduce friction in our buying process. Uh, and then I've got one more thing to cover before we move to Q&A. We got some great questions in the Q&A. Keep, keep them coming, y'all. Yeah. So reducing friction, the way I think about this is that most people do not want to be approached by salespeople. Mm -hmm. they, they don't. No one wants to be pitched. I'm in sales and I don't like it. Yeah. Freaking me either. Like I'll hear it because I, I'm always thinking, oh, but I'm a unique case where I would talk to every seller who reached out to me because I'm thinking, is there something I can learn from them? Right. Is there something I can learn not to do from them? What have they got for me? And, you know, it's my my space. But most people, most CFOs, let's take an example, probably are not looking active like, yeah, pitch me, pitch me. So um, we, we need to recognize that thought is hilarious to me. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't happen. Um, but we, if we recognize that most people aren't, don't want to be sold to, and you know, if you asked everyone that, they'd all say no. That's just part of the job. That's what we signed up for when we got into sales or signed up for when we accidentally ended up in sales because we got a silly amount management degree like I did. Uh, that didn't really have any potential prospects for me in any other career uh, other than event manager, which I didn't want to do. So I don't know why I chose that. Um, but we can recognize that although that's the case and most people don't want to talk to us, the majority of the reasons why they don't want to talk to us is because most salespeople they engage with are actually not very good. They do all of those things. They pitch, they spam, they send generic meaningless messages targeted to people who are never going to be interested in what they sell. Like totally irrelevant. Like people try and sell me like payroll automation. Not even when I run my own company before when I was working for an employer. I'm like, dude, I'm on the sales team. How did this get to me? A lot of this even get this like, far. Right. Yeah. So, so when we recognize that a lot of that messaging out there is really bad, that's actually a low bar and it's an opportunity for us to go ahead and be like the best seller who yeah. may have ever engaged with that buyer before. And at that point, they're not going to be like, oh, I hate salespeople. They're be like, whoa, this blew me away. It was right. for me. It's not a problem that I have. It's well-researched. I've thought about it. And it actually shows that you've got a little bit about you. That's an opportunity to me. And that's what kind of keeps me excited about sales and doing it a good way. Because you get that. You get those responses from buyers where they're really emphatic. Like, yes, this is insane. This is the best email I've got a week. That is the one of the best feelings you get as a seller. And it's yeah. not that hard once you realize the pitfalls that all these other sellers might be falling into and you avoid those and rise above them and just do a little bit more. The bar the bar is super low. We say it a lot. The bar is super duper low. Uh, but I'm curious, you, you had a comment there that made me feel like, okay, this would be fun. We have a lot of salespeople in the room. What's your degree in? Let us know in the chat. Oh, I, yeah. I would love to hear it. Say it proudly, yo. Like, I worked hard for a writing degree. So I appreciate every like psychology. I bet like I love that. Uh, look at this physics, psychology, BA, hospitality. Psychology. You do good. Masters in special ed, I theater. Oh, I bet you're crushing it. 
biology, agriculture, agriculture. Boxing, okay, all right. Three degrees, man. It's unbelievable, isn't it? We all fell backwards into this role. Okay, last thing before we move to Q&A uh, that I caught in your course, which I think was super interesting, and it's about flows for, with like a similar track. Some of this was about like bucketing people and using patterns that you're recognizing, verticals that you see you perform well in. We talked about that right before we kicked it off. And then of course, that dirty word that everybody hates, streamlining your messaging or scaling your messaging. Uh, dish this gem out that comes from the course and then we'll move to Q&A, get a bunch of stuff out. Yeah, so we touched on earlier when we were talking about doctors and symptoms, but generally that's what I think about is, is one of the most effective ways to scale without having a huge drop in relevance. So a lot of people these days are turning to AI solutions to try and help them scale, which is okay. You know, it might be better than what you're doing right now. So if it is, then be my guest. Um, but, but really for me, like I saw someone in the chat earlier was saying, I get all these messages saying like, Hey, I saw you went to the, this university. How is that related to the reason why you're reaching out? Right? So that to me is like personalization, but that's not relevance, but you can hit relevance without having to research each prospect individually. So by knowing the buying triggers and bucketing your prospects, not just by their title, their, um, their title, their company size, their industry but actually bucketing them based on what might be happening that you can observe on the outside. So we use that like marketing headcount decrease one earlier. If we know that 90% of the people who buy from us will show interest in our product are growing their team, then we can use that as one of our triggers. If we know that, uh, if we're, if we know that 70% of the people who come to us have just done a rebrand, we can use that as a trigger. So what we can do is go ahead and find 50, 100, 200 prospects who will recently rebranded and, and reach out to them a very similar message saying, Hey, it looks like you've recently had a rebrand. Or if we sell a um, custom support chatbot or a knowledge-based solution, then we could be like, oh, hey, we could go find 200 companies that will have negative reviews that mention slow customer support on G2. This isn't that hard to do. And then you could go and reach out to us folks and say, hey, it looks like you've had a couple of negative reviews regarding your customer support wait time. Mm. And then we can then we go, that can lead to churn. As you probably know, this isn't when we're not trying to tell them what's obvious, but we can, we obviously want to highlight the impact of that problem. And we say, um, a lot of folks find that by building a knowledge base, a lot of those customers can self-serve, which means that only the really important tickets are left for your chat team to, to, to have to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. That means that the wait times are much less drastic and you are saving your team's time just for the folks who, who are most in need of your support, reducing those bad reviews, reducing that chat. Does this sound interesting to you? Is a knowledge base that you've checked out in the past? Have you tried something like this? Worth a chat. Seem interesting. How are you going about that today? I'm on a cold call. What are you doing to to, to reduce wait time? Woo! You know, ask a, a a like question that's just going to be easy for them to answer and come back. It's going to be pointed. Get them either thinking about the problem or showing interest in your cold email, or open up a conversation by a cold call, which can lead you to ask some more questions and find if there's a problem there that you might be able to help them with. You know what I picked up on there was, man, you rattled off those engagement questions so fast. I hope we make a clip of like how to ask a, an engaging question quickly that's conversational because you rattled those off like it was second nature. And I think a lot of salespeople struggle there. Let's answer some questions. Uh, yeah, great CTA. Shout out Michael. He caught it too. Uh, okay, Noel, here we go. What type of tools are you using to identify if an account has reduced headcount? Do you have a tool that you use for that? Yeah, I use LinkedIn Sales Navigator for that. Um, I mean, I've done a couple of shows with Sell Better on LinkedIn Sales Nav and little tactics that you can use to do that. Um, but in LinkedIn sales nav, if you go to an account search, um, this is the best way I've seen to do it. 
if you go to your account filters uh, on that, and then you just go to department headcount growth, you select the department, let's say finance, you're not seeing my screen right now, and I can do minus 50 to minus 20. And that's going to show me just companies that have had a finance team headcount decrease between 50, minus 50 and 30%. Noel, you did not know you were going to get that strategic LinkedIn sales navigator tip right there. We'll, uh, we maybe we'll make a quick video to walk you through that process. I might take I'll that. I'll send you one via video afterwards. All right. Well, my man will take care of you. This one comes from Maria. This is fire right here. Uh, how did you improve your selling skills? Uh, you know, you mentioned coming to the show, you mentioned your experience on the front lines. Uh, what recommendation would you have for Maria to improve her selling skills consistently? There's two main things. Um, Number one is is become a student. You know, look for for place sources of information that you might not be seeing or getting from your entire internal key team right now. Um, there's a lot of great sales leaders out there, but there's a lot of those. There's a lot of ones who don't invest in their team and, and don't see a problem with the way their teams are doing things today. So don't be afraid to you know look out for resources like you know this show. It's on every day. It's bad. But there's always tons of guests on here with new ideas. You know, everything they say is going to be parable. You might not walk away with everything I said today and go, I'm going to use that. But if you can use one or two things from that. Then you can do that. Same thing goes for books. Got like I read twenty six sales books last year. If I tried to follow the advice in all of those, I'd, I'd be walking around in circles because they they can't interact one another. But if I can find one or two things, I can weave that into my strategies. A lot of the problem face focus stuff that I talk about comes from um, Challenger, Sandler, and, and and gap selling. You can invest in courses. You can invest in coaching. But of course, none of that means anything if you don't go ahead and actually try and apply that and experiment. Like the reason why it's so clear to me now is because I've made all these mistakes right along the way. So get other people to teach you by looking out for these resources, but also go out and actually test these things. And don't just test them once or twice because you need to get some repetition in there to get good at anything. So if you if you like the sound of a tactic, you know, I used to get this all the time. I used to work for a company called Vidyard. I used to help people send prospecting videos. People were like, oh, I tried video, it didn't work. I'm like, how many videos did you send? Five. How long did it take you? Two hours. I'm like, of course that bloody doesn't work. That's not a good way to do anything. <laughs> Uh, so, so again, you need to do things a few times to get comfortable, get good at it, get in a rhythm, um, and uh, th that's going to be important. So make sure you go ahead and apply anything you may have learned from whatever source you may have taken it from as well. Great, great resources right there. And I love all those books you named. I'm actually quoted in Gap Selling, which I'm very proud of. You are? Uh, I am, yeah, right at the front of the book. Go ahead and grab it. It's right there on the first few pages. Uh, Pedro and Samir, I'm going to combine your, um, your question here. Uh, how much follow-up is required? When should we let somebody go when they're in our prospecting sequence? Should start at the bottom with three cheers for gap selling. That's right. I'm glad you're not coming through on the uh, uh, <laughs> on the cliche that salespeople lie, James. You are right there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I've, my my copy's signed, and you know maybe it'd be released. <laughs> should you might put me in there. Um, but uh, yeah, how many follow-ups? So I mean, I think there's a balance here. You don't want to. You know, there's a point of diminishing return. If you use enough channels and you hit them on a couple of channels each, so like let's say I do this, and I actually have a sequence get template that I can share. I don't think I've got it ready for today, so I should probably mention it. But if you want one, just PM me. I've got a PDF I can send you. But I like to think of it more like a be really top of mind for a short period of time. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to probably be doing like three to four calls, three maybe four emails, um, one LinkedIn DM, one LinkedIn video. Maybe one voicemail mixed in there somewhere along the way. Some softer touches like um, liking or commenting on something on their LinkedIn if they're active on that platform, of course. Um, and, and the idea is that I just want to get noticed. And if I know that I've done enough that's probably got me seen, 
I can assume they ignored it because it wasn't relevant. So that 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 if I gave you a straight answer, that'd probably be like fifteen touches over like a three week period, maybe. But not all of those are hard touches, and they switch up what you're saying and then every single time. And obviously, it doesn't apply to cold calls because they don't pick up the first time. You don't need to switch up your talk track for the second time you call them. If you're going to send someone an email, then make sure your second email and your third email they they are entirely different to that first email. They're not just bumps and follow ups and stuff like that. Instead, just try and maybe even split out your first email into several different emails, so that way you're always surfacing new content new challenges um or maybe giving more context on how you help customers so um that'd be much amazing insights from you man we really appreciate you coming in and sharing your time with us and your wisdom uh thank you to all of you for spending your afternoon with us we always appreciate you coming in and learning your new skills from us here at sell better we are live every single day connect with us on social we're going to drop will's linkedin in the chat go follow connect with will get this course if you're interested in that this is definitely going to help uh hey Shout out to the merch. Shout out to the merch. Uh, yeah, you know, you need this in your life. <laughs> we appreciate everybody. We'll see you guys tomorrow with another stellar guest to help you sell better. Uh, take the survey that gets that's coming your way because we appreciate your feedback. See you, buddy. Thank you, mate.